Welcome to If Blackbirds Were Ducks. Kind of one of my big things now is like teaching people, especially new folks. Um, Cause like my friend, Andrew, um, he just started hunting and he's an adult. I got a few guys here. They're pretty new to hunting as an adult. And they're like, Oh, I can't go on this hunt. Cause I don't have this high tech backpacking tent or whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know what you need is a license, a gun and a good attitude. Yeah. No, I hear you there. I still got the same tent I bought when we went on our first fly fishing trip. And I've got, yeah, I've got the same pack that I bought in the bargain cave at Cabela's. And uh, I used it doing my West River mule deer hunt. I think that was a pretty nice pack, too. It was, it's decent. It started to come apart, but nothing some E6000 can't fix. So I just sealed it back up and she runs. Yeah. Uh, Sean was on the first episode of of uh, this podcast. He was here hunting with me, and we were talking about how you truly are um, resourceful to the point, like in college, where you wouldn't shoot green wing teal because there wasn't <laughs> enough meat on them. You'd pass on green wings. Yeah. Well, I think the blue wings are fatter too. Well, yeah, blue wings yeah, are probably just tastier. They're like the best duck. I think they're one of my, they're probably my favorite. I mean, fat late season mallards are probably my favorite, but blue wings early, you can't beat them other than maybe wood ducks. Well, and it seems like the late season mallards sometimes will be tough. Like if you don't get a young one, they'll be tough, but then and you can cook them long enough and make it work. But yeah. blue wings, it just seems like they're always just like super tender. Blue wings are tender. When you roast them up. And full of fat in September. Yeah, they're yeah, they're the the fair weather duck. They always just keep ahead of the the cold weather and stay nice and fat and happy all the way down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we got the we got the special teal season in Iowa now, so that's nice. yeah, it's really nice. It's become one of the big I mean, I there's multiple teal seasons. I'll shoot 30, 40 teal. You know, I have 30, 40 ducks before the duck season even opens up. And you pluck every one of them whole? Most of them. Sometimes, well, I, you know, Ranella, when he showed that where they pluck the breast and thigh and then fillet that whole chunk off, you get literally all the meat and you can do some some of the same dishes, you know, doing that too. So I've started doing that quite a bit as well. Yeah. I've really shifted to that. A lot of the times when we're killing a lot of them, especially mallards, I don't worry about the legs either. And a lot of that's judgment call, right? If they're fatty, I want the legs. If they're not fatty, I'm kind of like, I mean, yeah. Well, when you cook them, like roast them, the legs are definitely the best eating. Oh yeah. The, the three bites you get out of them are the best. They're juicy. That fat on the top of the leg is so good. Mm -hmm. And then what I've been doing is I take that, I fillet that breast in, in the hind leg and then I'll thaw them all out and I'll cut the hind legs separate and I'll freeze a whole bunch of those. Like I have a bunch of blue wing mallard legs and Mm -hmm. I thaw them all out at once. Yep. And fry, like put them in a cornstarch, fry them up and make like um, crock pot like wings. Like you can yeah. do spicy wings, barbecue wings out of those little legs and then dip them in ranch. Man, they're good. Yeah, I keep I keep them separate, too, sometimes and do like the the confit. Have you mm-hmm. ever done that when mm-hmm. in the fat you cook them in fat and they're delicious and you, you actually can like chill them because it's cured in the fat and salt and it's really good. 
like topping and stuff. Like you make tacos out of it. It's really banging. Um, yeah, no ducks are awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. I and, uh, ate the last of my blue wings just a couple weeks ago, so I'm already out of blue wings. I got some mallards plucked and that I'll roast up yet, but yeah, I got I and just this is just plucked brass. I probably have oh, a good fifteen mallards. So yeah. I'm I'm sitting pretty good, fat ones, late ones. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, Idaho's been pretty pretty fun for ducks. Yeah. Honestly, like that's the big thing that I think I want to come do is the the I'm a late season mallard guy, man. Hunting ducks on water, like it's fun in the field, but the response to them to you know in the calling and stuff on the water, and it's like a lot of times you don't get the whole big fat wad to come in, but you get a few of them to bottom out, and that's just what you that's all you need, you know, just a couple out of every group. And uh, watching those like hunts in the mountains, I'm like, looks a lot of fun. It's sweet. The I mean, we had some good field hunts, too. Which it's like yeah. you get a bonus field hunt. We've been we started scouting fields. I think too much. Uh, once we started to shoot them in fields, and well, yeah. if those guys not done it much out there, they were like no. probably just like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. The best was the best was I was just filming most of the time. I shot my seven, but I like waited and uh, just filmed. Which was great because I got to film way too many flocks. Like we should have been out of there way quicker on that big hunt we had. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, and this just happens every time you hunt with new guys in a field. There'd be like 300 within 40 yards, and like two hens would drop out of a volley. I saw your recent reel on that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. You cool. like start worrying about your hen limit. You're like that should not be the case at yeah. all. Yeah, well, Luke Wingy, you know Luke Wingy was when he. He didn't hunt ducks much before he went to South Dakota State, yeah. and uh, and then he didn't hunt turkeys at all. I know you just posted that video of that, and he's colorblind, and so hunting ducks with that guy and trying to pick out drakes when we were in college, it was like, dude, you got your hens like you need to be real mindful of the next flock you shoot into. That's funny because the other day he was just uh he was telling me because I was bitching about the hens. He called me right after that reel. <laughs> and was like, what do you got about guys, you know, against guys shooting hens? And I was like, uh, when there's a thousand of them, you could just pick a drink. That's that's yeah. the thing to do. <laughs> no, one time we had a flock of mallards come in and he shot, he pulled up, uh, shot a hen mallard in a gadwall. I didn't even know there was a gadwall in the flock. And I'm yeah. like, how did you pick the two brown ducks? Like there was multiple drakes, like right down in and good. Yeah. Yeah. He just couldn't oh, tell, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't talked to you in a while. It's good to see you. That's like my favorite thing about the podcasting is I just get to talk to my friends. Yeah. You know, no, it's been, I talked to you in a while. we normally catch up like an hour, maybe, I don't know, three times a year. Something yeah, like, something like that. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Oh, well, I got two kids now. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty busy. Yep. So Alden's almost three and then Brooks is a year and a half. So that takes a lot of time. Um, I started this big Blanding's Turtle Research Project that's been really cool. Um, I just got a drone with a thermal imager. I'm hoping to do some like habitat stuff with that, especially for locating nesting turtles. I don't know if it's going to work. They use it for sea turtles. It's an idea. Nobody's done it that I have found in research, like in like the inland turtle species. So I'm going to give it a shot and try to like find because they they nest at night. And so... 
when they go up and they're they're selecting ag fields, my oh, hope okay. is that I can do these pre-planned flights and then I'll pick all that information up, go out at like midnight because they nest in the middle of the night and do these flights. And then I'll process the data into GIS. And then when I get up in the morning, I'll be able to look and like look for those thermal signatures and go in and see if it found them. I don't know. Sure. It's an yeah. idea. So anyway, I've been doing so, that. I've got a lot of people with their hands on that project. So, so uh, explain a Blanding's turtle. Uh, I think they're like the coolest turtle. Maybe that's because I'm biased. But uh, I remember Bazin had Blanding's turtles. He brought them to a turtle race in Nebraska. And one of the herpetologists there was like, where did you find that? You know, because they're like a threatened species. Granted, you know, the kind of the Blanding's turtle mecca is in, you know, western Nebraska in the um, Valentine National Wildlife Refuge. And so there's a professor from Minnesota that's been helping me with the project. But Blanding's turtles are, uh, they're unique of the semi-aquatic turtles. They spend a lot of time walking over land. And in Iowa, we have a lot of roads, right? And a lot of egg. And so they spend a lot of time in maybe high-risk areas is one of the concerns. And, uh, but anyway, so they're, they kind of have like a, a, uh, life cycle like humans. So they like, they don't become sexually mature until they're 14 to 16 years old. Right. So somebody who's studied wildlife knows like that's a pretty big deal. And then and then um, they can live to be up over 80 years old. So they're like this really long lived turtle. Literally sounds like a human as far as. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's almost the same. And then also um, like one of the biggest studies done in our area over the course of many decades, it was in Minnesota. They investigated like over 300 Blanding's turtle nests and 80 percent of them were depredated within the first 48 hours of the, of the, uh, sorry, I had a message from my wife about my kids. Um, within the first 48 hours of them laying the eggs, they actually in the paper said that they saw sometimes like the turtles were laying the eggs and the raccoons were eating them. As like, it was happening. Predators. Huh? As it was happening, they were eating. Yeah. As they were laying the eggs. Hmm. I wonder, really I wonder why that would, they would be that predated on how long are they, are they laying eggs? They do it all in a night. Okay. Yeah. So they'll hike up like right at dusk and then they'll lay their eggs and they, depending on where they're at. So actually this summer I'll be catching the females a couple weeks before the breeding or before the nesting season. And, uh, and I'll be x-raying them and you can take an x-ray and you can see the eggs and actually count how many eggs they have to get an estimate on like their clutch size initially. Um, yeah, so they go up, lay their eggs and then they leave them. But the amount of edge that we have and the fact that they select the edge of ag fields. I don't know why a turtle does it. They, they know things that we don't know, obviously like how they yeah. seek and find these warmer spots, you know, and then the ag field that's freshly tilled. So it's easy for them to dig, you know, they kind of pee and then they'll dig with their hind legs, lay their eggs in there. And their expectation is that they'll incubate really well because not only their success, but their sex is determined by in reptiles by the temperature at which they incubate, which is really interesting. That is interesting. So the, whole, so the whole, the whole clutch will be male or female. Yeah. I mean, but it, you know, as you get closer oh, to the, I see. further, there might be some female or male, but yeah, if they're incubating them like in captivity, yeah, they can, they can incubate them and make a male or female. That's and so that, that could create a sex bias, but the big thing is, you know, the turtles are selecting. There's all these p- papers like point to the fact that they think that what happens is um, 
you know, the turtles lay their eggs, the temp, the soil temps seem legit. You know, they have just planted the soybeans are just starting to grow or the corn crop. And then as that crop grows up, it shades out the soil, drops the temperatures to, oh. you know, to temps that aren't even, you know, viable for them to, to do well. Mm-hmm. And there's another study going on in Iowa where they put these data loggers in the soil to try to capture temperature and year one it didn't it didn't work their data loggers didn't work right because they you know cut some corn down put some there put some around the nest put some in standing corn but anyway so so yeah so blanding's turtles the majority of the populations are just like all really old individuals like it's pretty humbling because a lot of the turtles that i'm handling they're like probably older than i am some of them might be double my age that's wild Uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool, and you're holding this thing, and, and you can look on the annuli just like on a tree, like flip the turtle over and you look on their plastron, and you can identify how old they are. But once they get up like 20-plus years old, it's just smooth as can be. So you can't tell how old they are. You're just like, this thing's at least but it's know, mature. my age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's sexually mature, and so I just break it into like sub-adults, you know, breeding age, and then the juveniles. If you, so, have, yeah. if you have a complete uh dead skeleton can you tell the age uh yeah I think if, you, if you could see it yeah soon enough um and that's one of the things that's kind of concerning at one of my sites we're finding some dead turtles on the ice already uh the drought's been terrible in northwest iowa like really. yeah like our our wetlands are dry real dry and we've been getting some fall rains that have kind of helped with some of the fall duck hunting and stuff yeah. um but but this year specifically, I thought I missed the drought when I put radios out and I was kind of bummed because I wanted to see where these things go when it gets tough. Yeah. And then it got real tough this year. And uh, so it'll be interesting. I mean, we could talk like literally hours about my research because some of the stuff I'm finding is just like, it's it's really interesting. I mean, we live in like the most altered landscape in the country. right Absolutely. here, Absolutely. And these are a threatened turtle that, what I'm finding is not only that they're here, but they're actually, you know, potentially thriving. Like we're finding some populations where there's like majority juvenile turtles, which is just unbelievable. And why is it that they're doing well? And right now I'm pretty like freaked out because, you know, that site was almost bone dry going to fall. And my turtles are just like piled into this little tiny puddle. And I'm just sitting here waiting for it to thaw out and go, what, what happened? You know, did they live? Are they not going to make it? We're yeah. going to find it. So, so when they when they yeah, what do they go they go they straight up hibernate or is it just a state of torpor yeah i mean it's i guess in you between. could call it in reptiles i don't know what if you would call it you know they just slow they slow their body way way down so i guess it would be a, a hibernation okay yeah so they'll just tuck way down they'll dig down in the mud we don't know how deep what characteristics make them even able to survive because where they're at there was like I have to argue maybe not even a foot of water, even on top of the muck where they wintered over. And it's been a brutal winter. Like we got 30 inches of ice on the lake over in at Okaboji. Yeah. So it's frozen through. I would think so. Through the mud. Probably. Yeah. And so I don't even know. I It's just crazy. I mean, obviously there's all of that anaerobic decomposition going on mm-hmm. and those microbes are giving off heat and the conversion of that energy. So I think like, I don't know. I'm really like, and all my other sites. How do they breathe? Huh? How do they They, breathe? They, they just slowed, they slow down to where they don't really need any oxygen. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. That is crazy. I always say this to my wife the other day. I'm just like, 
you know, imagine being a Blanding's turtle under the ice right now. Like that would just be the worst. Just like being any critter. Yeah, but it's the same thing. See, you and I both, we took all game management classes, right. like waterfowl, upland game, large mammal. All the, I, we had all, the cool, credit, all the flashy stuff. All the yeah, stuff. we there was a two credit herpetology course, and I was like, forget that. So I have no idea about like amphibians, reptiles. Like it's all I'm just learning all these new things. And uh so yeah, I mean, I think they I don't I don't think reptiles I don't think they can really transfer or breathe much at all. Um amphibians are able to through their skin, and maybe reptiles are some through like I don't know. I, I thought I remember reading something about they read like there's through, some respiration through the through the skin. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and amphibians have that. Oh, amphibians, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like a newt or something. Yeah, you know? and yeah. frogs and stuff like that. But yeah. reptiles, man, I it's crazy. It's, it's That is weird. crazy. I mean, these things, my only experience with turtles and why I got into the project, you know, growing up, my dad trapped them commercially, of course, because we snapping trapped turtles. everything. Snapping turtles. That shit is good. Bells. It was crazy. I mean, I like, love eating snapping turtles. The 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 prices live weight were like a buck and a quarter to a buck seventy five a pound, and like, like just, that's live weight, and yeah. you can get what forty pounders quite often thirties. Oh yeah, I mean that's a big turtle, but yeah. you could go up to one cage and pull up a hundred pounds of turtles pretty easily. Dang. So we'd like get done working, and we just like, oh, we're just gonna cruise the road and. My dad didn't even have like a manufactured claw. We had a claw hammer with a rope tied to it and we'd toss it off the bridge and we'd be like, you know, you'd grab that cage and if you couldn't lift it up, you're like, you know, we got a hundred and some dollar check sitting in there and we'd have to wait out and get turtles out and just put them in gunny sacks, keep them and sell them that way. Yeah. And Iowa had some of the most liberal turtle take in the country. Like people would come here and would just like they was long liners that run the whole state traveling turtles and make just crazy money. And was there ever adverse effects to the snapping turtles? Um, there was some concerns and some trends looking that way in the last, I think, five to ten years. I want to say about the last five years, they really cracked down on the turtle take. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as like protecting, um, during certain seasons, and I haven't followed the regulations closely because I'm not commercial trapping turtles anymore. But, um, yeah, I know that they've made some big changes because of the concerns with that. It's snapping. I mean, tur snapping turtles are long-lived, crazy animals, too. Yeah. And when I talk about, like, how amazing they are, like, I remember when Dad would butcher them. Because we'd always catch some, and he'd butcher them out, right? And so you'd just, like, let them grab onto a vice grip, and they'd pull their head out, and you just, like, whap their head off. Yeah. And, like, an hour later, you could stick your finger in there, and that thing would, like, it would hurt when it would bite you. And you could, really? you could peel you Yeah, you could be peeling the turtle open. And pull its heart out and put it in your palm and it'll sit there and beat for like forever, like for a really long time. It's like out of the turtle's body and it just sits there and beats. It's just a dinosaur. Yeah, they, they've literally been on the planet for yeah. a really long time. They're just yeah. amazing animals. They're like you, it's creatures. hard to kill them. And they can live in just the craziest conditions. Yeah. What's They're like uh, for the blanding turtles? What's a mature male or female way? It depends. So this guy from Minnesota, um, this other professor, he's done lots of, he did all the research at Valentine. Um, he's done a couple of big projects in Minnesota. And what got me linked to him is he did a project like right across the border in Southwest Minnesota when they were going after trying to find their populations. Um, but when he came down and was trapping turtles with me, he's like, these are freaking huge turtles, man. Like I've got a couple over five pounds. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, 
I can't think of in, in centimeters, but they're good sized. Yeah, About five like, pounds is a nice old turtle. Yeah, that's a nice turtle. And they they have a deeper carapace, so they have like a domed carapace. It's not like a like a like a, like a tortoise. Yeah, a little bit more. So they're like, kind of built. They're like kind a of box turtle, kind of or something. They're kind of built more like a terrestrial turtle. Yeah, so they have like a more domed shell. Their legs are kind of a little more. Seems like under them for walking. You know, on land versus. Oh yeah. You know, Versus like a painted turtle or a snapping turtle. Right. And they have a hinge. Yeah. And they have a hinged plastron too. So they can completely close themselves inside of there. It literally, to me, in my head, growing up in the South, sounds like a box turtle. It's probably similar. Probably very. And Uh, those, the box turtles are the terrestrial ones. Yeah. They just walk around in the woods, you know. Yeah. I caught one when we were in the Ozarks. The fly there, by the way, was sweet. I I remember. Really? It's just big fish, man. Oh, that's when we were. That's when we were discussing uh, the the San Juan Shuffle. San Juan Shuffle. Yeah, that might get some backlash. On <laughs> you should have seen the locals. That's an I mean, old. That's guys, an old trick there. An old guy. These guys, trick. Were, the locals though. If you did that, oh yeah, that freak so out. Pissed off. Like this guy. Like I don't even know how he gets through day to day. He's on the river every single morning. We we went like three times, yeah. and he just like is just pissed off the whole time. Like he's just mad. People are there. The whole mad people are there, and then you're catching fish, and you're like, you know, we're taking pictures of these big fatties, and he's like, that's not even fishing, you know, like you you shouldn't even be doing that, and that doesn't even count. It's not fair to the fish, and it's like, well, these guys raise these things in the hatchery for all. Yeah, I mean, we're you're you're eating a a raised fish from a aquarium. Yeah, he was uh, one these, he's one of these purists, like a streamer purist. Like he yeah. had his way technique, and if you didn't do it his way, like it wasn't the right way. That's uh, it's the most frustrating thing in fly fishing to me, and it's so goofy. Like you you have to do it a certain way. You can't nymph with a bobber. There's all these rules that people put on themselves. You can't keep a fish. That's oh my god, that's sacrilege. Yeah. Uh yeah. And it's funny when you put, like, when I put the videos up, especially a bull trout, you just get ripped into for something you didn't even know was a problem. You know, you're like, I, I didn't know I wasn't That's supposed a cheat to do code. That. Like, there's all these rules, and it's like I followed every single law that our state put in place, and I'm having a lot of fun, man, and I caught yeah. some fish. Forget I don't about. really care what you It do. is. I mean, it is kind of funny. Like, fishing with an indicator and nymphing is like, it's like bobber fishing, man. It's like what you did when you were like, oh, yeah except you have to fling the thing around to get it to where you want it yeah so it is it is it is kind of cheap but man it works really good especially if you run like multiple nymphs and you're hitting all you know all the different levels within a riffle yeah we were we were trying to nymph this weekend it was just tough in town someday we someday if you come here you don't have another hip surgery or something (laughs) i'm so mad i did that thing and like my hip is in worse shape now and i from that ordeal from that surgery yeah and i was like and then i get that surgery um miss the trip to idaho which i wanted to do forever like i was gonna be yeah. out there for a week yeah. i just finished my master's it was like my getaway because we met our deductible well, i got kids now dude you meet your deductible every single year so yeah. i'm like i didn't even have to do it i could have done it a, yeah it is what it is yeah you told me that you're like we met our deductible so i'm doing it and yeah like, and, right. and so i snuck it in between christmas and new year's and i'm just like gosh dang it well, that's and right. then I was going to talk to you about trying to come out in January, and then now we're talking about doing this salmon trip up in Wisconsin. Oh yeah, both yeah. of those will be kind of tough. So yeah, 
But that sounds like an interesting – it's one of those deals I think we could get completely our butts kicked, but or we could just, like, do something crazy. You well, know, the cool thing things. is it's not that far from you. It's driving distance from you. It's like six hours. You're, like, 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, you should just fly here, but I know you'd want to take your dog. I would. I would, but I, I mean, I know your Satori is nice, whatever, but I'd like to you have can bring gun. You know what's interesting about guns? I started flying with guns. Yeah, it's I like didn't a, know how that works. Oh, easy. So you just buy, all you have to do is buy a case, right? One of the hard cases. I bought one for like $25, one of those normal hard cases. And then you buy these locks, these combo locks. They're like $3 a piece on Amazon. They're TSA locks. And then you just bring it up to the counter like, I have a gun. I actually used have been flying with two when I'm doing a bird trip. And mm-hmm. they, just, they just open it, look at it, and it's just a check bag. It's so easy. It's just wow. Thirty bucks. I was wondering how like I, weird. I know. I always I was like thought, I would just like mail my gun to you and then get it when I get out there. No, like, I always thought the same thing. So like, yeah. Now I just when I go on a hunting trip, I pay the. I guess it's thirty bucks there and thirty bucks back, so sixty yeah. bucks to bring my gun. Which, yeah. Honestly, with the price of gas and stuff. Yeah, that's not flying. You never know. You kind of look at it and you're like, oh, you pay more than that for a freaking box of good shotgun shells at this point. Oh, yeah. I can't believe some of the shells like $70, $80 a box. Like people actually buy that. There's no way. You know what was funny? What was funny is Sean had a bunch of the TSS, like Uh, that that expensive. They're shooting ducks with that stuff. So, yeah, they have like duck loads for them that are like, I don't even know, 50 bucks a box or something. And like he would hit birds and they wouldn't die. And then I was talking to him. I was like, so what's the problem? Like I'm seeing you take feathers off of birds that I'm shooting with freaking 10, $15 a box, you know, I just shoot or two, dude, I just shoot twos, twos and threes for like every three inch but... twos, three inch. Yeah. Twos. It's just this killer load. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But he's like, I guess those ones he was using, they didn't uh, copper plate them. And when you don't copper plate them, they like shatter and don't carry through the bird. So he was. Oh, it's like how lead, them. you know, lead expands, you know, it's just not as hard. It's not hard like steel. Yeah. So yeah. it just like changes the shape. And so it doesn't travel through as good. Where steel, as long as you got the impact, I mean, it just, you know, yeah. plows through them. It's not as heavy, mm-hmm. but it keeps its shape. Right. If you're right. shooting a rifle load like that's you don't that's okay but if you're shooting these little pellets out there that probably yeah, that kind of makes sense yeah it's kind of interesting i still wish you know talking to grandpa when they first started you know bringing in steel and they literally on they hunted on the clock all the time like that's what you did when you work for the state but yeah yeah they, they were given like cases of lead sixes and they went out on the point, and this is back. This lake hasn't had a bluebill on it probably in who knows how many years, but they could shoot 10 of them at that point. And they'd go out there with lead, and they just had to count how many shots they took, how many birds they crippled, how many they killed when they were trying to, like, you know, look at, oh, I'm sorry, steel, when they were trying to look at the, you know, how successful steel was. Yep. And like they did that for like all the time. They were, they were, they gave them like cases of shells that, you know, go duck hunting and tell us how good it works. Yeah. It's crazy. That sounds great. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I mean, it's like a wonderful gig. Yeah, those those mornings you wake up and you're like, you know, this maybe snowed a little bit and you got that big cold front moving down. It's windier than a son of a gun, just crystal clear blue skies. And you're like, yeah, like ducks would die today. Just go right. hunting. Like, they just load the boat up, 
him and his buddies and they and they get to the <laughs> ramp and they just go hunting and they'd shoot their ducks in the state truck out of the state boat yeah like you would get you would get fired in an instant <laughs> for that now yeah unless you were on a study yeah yeah i think in south dakota they had a study for like snow geese not that long ago doing yeah that. they did that jumping versus game didn't, call. yeah didn't like grovajohn do that or something yeah, Wasn't he had yeah. That up? so he just went and pass shot they and looked at yeah the yeah. effort of pass shooting versus decoying birds, and then they looked at their body condition. So they measured fat. Yeah, body condition. That's what it was. Yeah. And I think they found that the birds that were decoying were like really not doing good. Sickly. Yeah, they weren't <laughs> they weren't great. So if you want to shoot some fat ones, which is hard to find in the spring, you know, migration when they're pushing, but jump them or pass shoot them is probably your best. Hey, yeah, when we lived in Brookings, there's always I always loved a good pass shoot in the spring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or in the winter, a nice blizzard. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Nothing wrong. Yeah, you get the right weather. You get the right weather, and it's it can be just crazy. Last year when I went out there, that avian fluid hit, and it was just – there was freaking dead geese everywhere, man. It was yeah. crazy. That yeah. – the you know, at the reservoir where we would go, there was just dead geese, and they're all, like, drunk or messed up all up along there. I found red-tailed hawks, rough-legged hawks laying around. It's crazy. Yeah, from eating on the geese, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's just like bouncing through. It's just bouncing drove, through. As you drove from Yankton, like, north up to Mitchell, yeah, there was yeah. just, like, you would just see dead snow geese laying in fields. That's crazy. It's crazy. It was crazy. What's yeah. interesting is I went down and hunted them in Arkansas, and it seemed like juvie-wise, there were still a lot of juvies in this hat. Yeah. yeah. We were shooting. We were doing fine. Yeah. Maybe it would have been epic if – there wasn't all this continuous avian influenza outbreak. Yeah, but. this yeah, that was last spring when they were all dying. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, Our supposedly the fall was the same way. Yeah, huh? Yeah, I just drove out to. I was out in Rapid all last week, and there's still snow like all the way out to past Chamberlain. Sounds terrible. Yeah, it's a late spring, man. This is the week. This last weekend is the weekend that we would go you know, on our annual snow goose thing we did for a few years. And it was normally like sunny and 65. I, I was mean, about to say, it's warm snow... by now usually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a late spring, man. Because usually it's... the first push of like adult snow geese, like a good hard push was the first week of March every year. Yeah. Like yeah. up near Brookings, probably not to Brookings, but I-90. Yeah. You'd see them bouncing up. Which that there. whole James River flat to me is just, man, that is such a cool spot. Oh, yeah. this migration. Yeah, they're they're all about the James. Just River. pour through there like crazy. Yeah, it's cool. that is cool. Yeah, they've been. They Justin went on a hunt the other day. They shot like him and one guy shot forty, not too far from here. The snow line just it's been weird. It's been a real weird spring, but we're starting to see waterfowl move in now. But yeah, I'm looking forward to turkey hunting more than yeah. anything for sure. Yeah, what are you doing for turkeys this year? Same old, same old, going back to Northeast Iowa, the drift list, do a little fly fishing. And I got my buddy, he shot his bird. I shot my bird in like seven minutes last year. And then I took him out. We had an awesome hunt. He killed his. Um, And uh, he hasn't really fly fished much. And he had so much fun. He applied and he got his tag again. So nice. Back and and then I got another, my brother-in-law and his uh, brother from Missouri. I've hunted that early season archery in Nebraska with him. 
the last couple of Easter's we go down to, and he drives like two and a half hours to hunt and we hunt this little WMA and there's like five blinds on it. It's like <laughs> not very big. It's crazy, but there is a wad of turkeys there, yeah. but they like are almost always on the private. But if you wait it out, eventually something comes creeping across right. the fence. And uh, I told him, I said, dude, quit wasting your time with this Nebraska tag. And he was, well, just uh, that didn't even sound fun. No. It was just because it was my first turkey hunt. Yeah, yeah just to yeah. get to go. That, that's the thing with archery seasons that always got me was it's early. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, well, I'm going to go hunting. You know, yeah. like it started. I got to go. I convinced him. I'm like, dude, just apply for an, uh, you know, a tag. Go to Northeast Iowa with us. And he, you pretty much draw him. I mean, it's a limited draw, but there's not enough applications. I think that. Yeah. I Which, actually... by the way. I talked to Steve Griffin when I was out in Rapid. I visited with Yeah, him. they're doing something, aren't they? About they're limiting they're them. limiting the draw on the non-resident public land archery tags. The so they're limiting it. archery tags? Yes. You know how it's like basically you apply by a certain date. I think it's like April first or something, and you can yeah. hunt public land. Yeah. And statewide archery. Like it's like everybody gets a tag. They're limiting it to are you talking about tag. are you talking about for deer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Statewide any deer. Sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I heard Statewide any deer. So you were talking about like, turkeys, and I was like, really? No, you hunt on, uh, I was just talking about like limited draw. Mm-hmm. You hunt on private land, you know, when you go out and hunt that ranch, when you go out west or south Dakota. Yeah. But yeah, they're only going to allow 2,200 non-residents to hunt public land that I think is going to go live next year. I'm like, why 2,200? He said, that's the number they came Arbitrary up number. Yeah, I think it has to do with a percentage of access or a percentage of people per certain, you know, the county. I have no idea how they calculated that, but that's what the group decided to come up with. But anyway, I thought that was interesting because I was like, I couldn't believe it. I could just go, you know, South Dakota is an awesome state. And you could just yeah. like, not even 300 bucks, statewide archery. You can hunt mule deer, white tail. Oh, it's a hell of a deal. It's a hell of a it's deal. crazy good deal. Um, all their tags are, they, I mean, South Dakota is just a good deal. I get ripped into all the time when I talk about it on the podcast though, for being a good deal. All my oh buddies, yeah. Well, all the, all the buddies from back there, like stop doing an advertisement for South Dakota licensing. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, and I know some of the guides and stuff like that. I remember when waterfowl, that's always been a whole deal oh, yeah. on, you know, getting control of all that, but it's like. When we were hunting, I I wouldn't say that we were limited. When I went this year, we weren't limited by access. Like there was there was hunters, but there was enough land that it wasn't a big deal. Granted, we were there. What I thought would be peak rut, but the mule deer must rut just a little bit later. I'm just they that. do, I, especially in the plains. Um, you know, Thanksgiving, even first week of December is really good. Uh, a lot of the time when I'm seeing real good rut activity or mounting, it's happening around the 20th mm-hmm. or something like that. That's when it starts. You just got to play in the fact that, see, the reason we went when we did, it was a weekend for rifle season. Yeah. So soon yep. as rifle season comes up, it's like, and, and the that, white tails were going hard. They were chasing, fighting. Yeah. I rattled a nice buck in, just couldn't get a shot or whatever. And But the mule deer just weren't having it. They were just chilling. They're all grouped up, but mule deer are like that anyway. Yeah, you know, they just... are. That's I remember, cool remember... Rattled... that's cool that you rattled one in and almost got. Yeah, me. I rattled in a whitetail, dude, and it was a it was a nice one. Really, I was walking out. It was just like a 
I was just had no idea this farm. I hadn't hunted it and the farm was awesome. Um, but anyway, we, as I'm walking out, I spot this nice whitetail buck. It's like at least a three and a half year old deer. It wasn't huge, yeah. but anyway, and he's like, I literally look at my clock at eight minutes left and he's like 200 yards from me. Yeah. He can't figure out what I am. So you start sprinting and, at him? No, <laughs> I, I held the antlers up like this. Oh yeah. I kind of dipped down and I just cracked them and did a big rattling series and kind of ripped on my grunt call. And I was like, I have no idea. I look at my clock. I'm like, Jesus, four minutes left. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. And there's like a little plateau there. It wasn't, it was very gradual. Like I, I could hardly get down behind it. And all of a sudden I pop up and that buck is coming hard. Like he's, you know, like when they're pissed off coming in, he's got his head all perked up and he's coming right at me. And he keeps coming. I'm like, oh my gosh, like he gets to like 10, 12 yards. Yeah. And I look and I I got like a minute left, minute, two minutes. I'm like, well, I got to try. And so I try drawing and he busts and runs and then he gets sideways. I'm like, ah, didn't work just out. Too weird. Yeah, I just rattled him in the first night out. I was like, dang, dude, that was pretty sweet. You're like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, and room. I stocked in. I got within range of a couple different bucks, uh, mule deer bucks. And one was pretty darn nice. There was a couple nice ones. But that's a tough game, man. I think I learned so much, though. Like, yeah. you got to be so patient and slow. You just spook a lot of deer. Otherwise. <laughs> I spook so many it's, deer. It's easy to get in bow range of bucks on the ground. But it's not easy to draw and shoot a buck on within bow yeah. range. You know what I mean? Like and just getting in range of one is a big success, but actually right. killing actually killing them is like so much harder than just getting in yeah. range of them. Um, there's been so many bucks like back when I was doing it on the ground a lot, just whitetails in uh, South Dakota. I would get within 40 yards of so many big bucks by being on the ground, but I just getting the shot is so hard. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. They yeah, the, decoy, the decoy definitely helps. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, if you got, but then carrying and toting that around, unless you get one of those that you just like put on your bow or whatever. Yep. Yep. So what did you use a decoy when you were doing it? Not this year, not out there. My first archery deer, you know, I just started getting into archery hunting again a few years ago, partially because of my conversations with you. I was like, when you were still living over here and you're like, yeah, I mean, I still hunt ducks and stuff, but man, this deer, like you were just so strung out on deer hunting. I was like, gosh, I, maybe I should try that out again. And really what honestly changed it for me was watching the hunting public, like the mm-hmm. way those guys hunt. And I know like some people get really pissed about it, but dude, it, it's, they're playing the game. It's like, what I love about hunting turkeys is playing the game. I don't yeah. like sitting in one spot for hours and like hoping that something walks by. I want to be aggressive. Like I, I can be patient when I got to be patient, but like yeah. I want to be able to move in. Like I started just going in downwind on all these bedding areas and I would just do a rattle series. Just like if I was going to go in and try to, you know, find turkeys in the middle of the day yeah. and I, like, I couldn't believe it. Like bucks are running me over. Oh, yeah, I was like, definitely. this is unbelievable. I've never done this before. And I'm just on the ground and I'm like, what just happened? You know? Yeah. Um, and then I, I, yeah, I had one come into a decoy. And so I know like, you know, my buddy Adam, when he's, when he's hunting turkeys on the ground too, he's like, he, he, like his first weekend and he hunts up there by where you guys did in Eastern South Dakota. And he's like, you get two or three toms in the decoys, but getting drawn without a blind, it's like almost impossible. Like I had him in the decoys for 10 minutes and I just, I could never get a shot. Even in the decoys. Yeah. 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 So the decoys are like your only chance. 
right you know, just drawing yeah. their attention hopefully they strut and turn and you get that shot yeah and that's what this buck that i shot over a decoy at six yards my first archery deer he he puffed up came into the decoy and then the satellite buck came out around behind him and he turned away just for a second and i drew back and, and shot him and i was like why have i not done this like <laughs> i know but i, I know. know why because i hunt ducks and i i like to hunt pheasants too and so i never took the time to sit out and do it but if i can do it aggressively like i grab my gun and my bird dog if i can grab my rattling antlers and a decoy and a call and just go run and gun it's it's freaking blast oh yeah it's so much more fun and and a lot of that comes with like um just getting older too yeah to where you can handle like the thought of i'm not gonna shoot one for the first six times i go out you know before i was always like I like killing ducks because I kill ducks when you I kill go ducks ducking. when you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then uh, it took me a while, but eventually you shoot enough ducks. You're like, well, I, I wouldn't mind doing something else. And and a big thing I wanted to talk about tonight was like our shift in the way we think, like as far as big game, due to our experiences working with big game. Mm-hmm. That was a big because whenever you and I were getting out of college, well, I still had to take stats for a semester. I didn't graduate because I dropped stats right at the last minute uh, and took it the last semester. But it doesn't matter. You're using you're using statistics every day at your job now, so it makes sense. Right? Yeah, I'm using it so much. Yes. <laughs> While I manage people. Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, so we took this internship. Um, I, I kind of had to convince you to take it. You remember? Yeah. Well, I was making a lot of money trapping muskrats, man. I was of thinking course, about that. Drew, like, Drew, Drew hoeing. Yeah. Drew hoeing. Okay. Yeah. You, you just talk. I want to hear. Yeah. It. Just, I mean, I was $10. There was literally $10 carcass rats. Like that's unheard of. And I was, you know, I was killing it. Like I killed yeah. me and my dad, we killed like 16 to 1800 rats off that thing by the time we got out of there. And yeah, that was why I was like, gosh, that's really good money. And it's one of those things where I, you know, you had more research experience with your stuff with Delta, but like they had no reason to hire me other than the fact that they could not find anybody else. And it was January, but I think it worked out well for him. I mean, they knew that I trapped and it worked out. You know, we, I was thinking about that when Steve introduces, he's like the double D, this Dan and Drew, the, you know. Yeah. Uh, when we moved out there, but yeah, the muskrat trapping was just so good. Like when I found that place scouting ducks with you guys that day, I mean, I, it's all I could think about. Like I, that was funny. We're, we're like focused on the ducks that are on this roost and drew is focused on the muskrat huts Yeah, that are populating the the slough. He's like, Oh my God, did you see the map? You see the houses? And then you ended up getting permission on one spot. There were some other guys trapping it too, weren't there? Yeah, I was the first one out there, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was – I got access, and if as long as you get on the water, you can trap wherever you want, which I ran into a whole deal with that. Right. Guy, sure. came out, guy came out Thanksgiving and broke a bunch of my stakes off and harassed me, and I tried getting the CO involved and stuff, and it, it was a whole mess. Because, you know, it's the same thing. They've, they've continued to have this fight about public water. water. Yeah. And the way I explain it to my students, just imagine it, man, like, Imagine you're a third generation farm, you know, and this farm that your grandpa grew crops on, your dad grew crops on, now it's under 10 feet of water and there's a bunch of college kids out there grilling burgers and drinking beer, you know, like 
that's, you look out there, that would piss you off, man. You're like, that's gosh. what's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely in that area, especially with like my line of work, just being able to look at everything from that light was really interesting. Yeah. And then you understand that's that's exactly it. You look back 40 years ago, dry as a popcorn fart. Buildings are up. I know. When you're when you're walleye fishing, you don't don't hit the silo in yeah. that 30 foot bay and blow your prop off, you know. That, yeah, it's crazy because you think about the drainage that's occurred in those regions, you know. I always look at where I live is like we've been Iowa-fied, right? We got all the, the channelized ditches. Yep. In the glaciated region, it's so flat. Like they're in those and the lack sheds. of rivers. The yeah, there's no rivers. rivers. Yeah. yeah, so the water, the water's got to go somewhere. So it's like one of those things. It's like you drain the water. Where's it going to go? Well, it's going to go to the yeah. bottom of the watershed. They ain't got nowhere to go. And then that's, it's like that's something. Forth. Yeah, you improve yeah. drainage, but then you know, well, you hopefully you got your farms all at some. Take elevation. it from here and put it to here. That's all. Yeah, doing. yeah. So that's yeah, that's kind of funny how how that's all worked out. Plus they did get an insane amount of rain that kind of started it off. But what's interesting about that is talking with soil scientists that I work with who dig out there, like before, like the old soil scientists said before, like Wabe Lake came up or better Lake came up, they would dig in there and find old beach, like old, um, like detritus layers and stuff up where the water is now. Like it was, it was obvious to them from the soil and what was contained within it and what it was showing them um, that at one point it was underwater. Yeah. Like there's not like that long ago, also. like a hundred years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and actually Laura Ingalls Wilder. So Lake uh, was it Lake Thompson wasn't there for like ever. Like it is. And but like back in her journals of, you know, Little House on the Prairie or whatever, she talks about the lakes like huh. that and that and Henry. Well, I'm sure there was just the wet seasons where those things, but they aren't the lakes that they are now. Like they probably weren't no. to the depths a lot of or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Gosh. That's one of my favorite memories of you is that Lake Thompson that one year we smacked the mallards up there. <laughs> and we found those things and you oh man, I I was telling uh I was telling one of those kids that I'm discipling, one of my students, he was over visiting with me. And I was talking about how I was like, you know, when Danny, me and Danny met, I was talking about this podcast. I said, we met in college, my last year out there. I remember meeting you at the bar and I was like, I hadn't talked to you like a minute. I'm like, me and this guy are going to get along so good. I can just tell from the beginning. We were out there and we found those mallards. And you cussed me out for stopping to look at them. And I was like, you were just like a kid, man. You're like, oh, they're in there. They're in there big time. They're in there. And I'm like, oh, I want to see. And you're like, no, we got to go. We got to go. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. We got to get, we're like calling people like, oh man. And it was, it was good. It was real good. And then we got them good again the next day. Yeah. That was sweet. That was fun. That That, was so That kind of hunting is so cool. That mid migration, big water. Oh, you got to get the weather for it. But once you got the weather and you can kill them, it's like, it's white knuckle sometimes to get there, but man, it's worth it. Those are the best days of all time. Give me prairies, peak migration and a blizzard. That's all I want in life. Yeah. And you can kill them in a field. You can kill them in a field in that really good, but 
I think it's more fun on the water. You're tucked out of the wind drinking coffee and those ducks. Either they... one. I don't care. Whatever. Just get me out there with some ducks. Yeah, so. killing something. But I've, it's I've weird. Had... It's weird in those situations because seemingly no matter where you are around the birds, you kill the birds. Yeah. Like you don't have to if be they, in the exact they, spot. You know what I mean? You can just kind of be around them. If they fly over and see you, like they are so blinded by that crap hitting them in the face. They're like, oh, ducks, whatever. They just pile right in there. Yeah, they aren't thinking at all. There's only one time in a blizzard where we went hunting where I was like, yeah, we shouldn't be out of here. I mean, it was like, it was yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, and it was out at 81 ponds. And we went out and our hole, we broke a hole. It kept slushing in. There was guys trying to hunt the field, you know, the same thing. They had their truck, their trailer stuck out there. It was oh, a geez. freaking whiteout, man. And we're like, yeah, we're just going to pound them. And we ended up doing some passion. We shot some birds, but we're like, dude, if we're going to get home, we better go home. Now. Yeah. And I remember we met Luke Wingy on the way home. Was it we me? And, wait, we were going? I went with no, you? This was, I was hunting with Justin and, oh, okay. and hunting those guys. But we're heading back to Brookings. And we had shot some snow geese and some mallards. And we meet Luke Wingy in that little blue Chevy truck. And he's driving out of town. I call him like, Luke, dude, not happening. <laughs> oh, this is the best time to hunt birds, man. I'm going to smoke them. I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, it's bad. He goes, as long as you can see the fence posts in the road ditch, like, <laughs> I can stay on the road. I'm like, it wasn't long. And he came back. I mean, it was like gust and winds just crazy. Yeah. But that's the only time, like, where the weather's been so bad, I was like, yeah, like, we need to consider, if we don't get out of here now, we might not make it home. We, but otherwise, you just can't stick it out. We did, like, three or four years ago, we pulled out probably at, like, noon or something, and we, we'd we shot our limit of mallards and bonus ducks and some Canada's and some specks, and the snows kept coming, and we didn't want to stop shooting them. We had, like, 80 birds with four people. <laughs> And but the snow was like so tall, it was at the running boards, and, I was like, well, we're, and it's just coming down. I'm like, we, I mean, I don't want to leave, but we got 80 of them. Like, let's just go. You got to get out of here. Yeah. yeah, it's funny though, because like it's only one time I recall that. I mean, since I've moved back to Iowa, I've had some just that's the awesome part about being a college professor, man. Like, yeah. I get all the snow days, I hunt yeah. before class, I get you know, like that's so, awesome. Yeah, so Absolutely. it's like. Oh crap! Snow day. Drop the kids off at daycare, and I'm gonna go hit the mallards. Like I check you later. <laughs> yeah, and I'm getting paid, man. Like you don't have to make the days up. It's that's great. awesome. Yeah, that's that's a, definitely a bonus. But I do. I mean, that, that was good stuff. I do want to circle back to that internship and um, yeah, talk about the that a little bit. Whenever we were yeah. uh, texts there in the Black Hills, and yeah. you know, neither of us up until that point really had much interest in big game at all. I mean, we shot well, him a little to, like, eat him. I and... shot a muzzleloader deer every year since I was, like, nine eat. years old. You literally meat. did it for meat. And I, yeah. I enjoyed doing it, but I just, right. like, I shot a deer. That was it, yeah. Like, you would go out one evening and shoot a deer, you know? Yeah, yeah. And kind of through our work there, I certainly gained an appreciation for all the species. Um mule deer are awesome of course elk mountain lions well big horns are in the hills aren't a very good example of what i was talking about but uh i saw the big group of them in the same spot they're always at custer state park just a couple days ago nice they're so cool they're so cool with their collars on 
there's only like one population left or one i the the hill city population's wiped out um really? there yeah steve said they just they just keep dying off that pneumonia all. stuff yep. yep that sucks yeah um but anyway when we were there like our first thing when we got there was all right you got to build these giant live traps like yeah. as we showed up and then we're like was well, for for what <laughs> And it was to trap deer in live traps so we could collar them, study them, take uh, take samples. Um, and yeah, put a collar on them. Basically, we we're doing the mortality study. And it started off, we were trying to do cause specific on the mule deer, right? But the technology on the mule deer only. Right there. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so we ended up. Literally, you would run trap lines of live traps and you would pre-bait them with alfalfa. And if you envision the trap is just, I mean, how long would you say? They're eight four foot? by four by eight, four by four by eight feet. Four by four by eight. I remember right. Yep. And then you'd have, you'd obviously set them out, um, get them tied to trees, tied to fence posts, get them down good because those things kick. It's got a deer in it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh the alfalfa was the was the hot bait of course. Oh man. And it was in the winter and you would put it outside of the trap and slowly put it inside of the trap, pre-baiting for the deer to get used to it. And then one night you would go in and set a trigger. <laughs> And they would go in like they had been the past week, and wham, the door falls. Yeah, was, you get them like we got them good. <laughs> when you would prebate, like the first run you took, oh, it was like you up. would have a deer or miss. You know, you did miss them once in a while, but I think that was because there was like multiple deer trying to get in the cage at once, and they, like the pipe would hit them on the back. Yeah, hit one of them on the back behind them, probably the fawn or something, or the yeah. fawn led, whichever one. Yeah. That was wild. I remember actually being like nervous about wrestling the deer at first. Yeah. See, and, and I, I, and you do I, it, and it was so fun. Yeah, I was, and I wasn't like, I was jacked about it. Like I knew, like I, I could understand that a deer could like kick your teeth out pretty easily. <laughs> when I was getting ready to go there, like something could really go south. And I remember we were like gonna wear a ski mask and stuff, and I was just like, nah, like. I got this, you know, I can take this deer. Yeah. And Steve was really good about teaching us a technique. And if you stuck to that, it went pretty darn well. I was able to use my weight on the white tails, but the mule deer were like, those bucks were nuts. They, oh, yeah. they would literally buck you into the top and you'd be riding them yeah, all yeah. over in that thing. That the, was the white tails would always, the white tails would be trying to go forward. The mule deer would go up. up. Yep. They just yep. jack yep. you up. And then the thing is, they're so big and tall, they'd have a hard time getting them off their feet. You know, granted, we want to take the animal down, but we want to be real careful about their legs and stuff. It's like wrestling calves. Like when I was, you know, branding calves, mm -hmm. where you flip them out away from you, you yep. know, when you're ready to put the hot brand on them. But with the deer, you had to turn them in because you had to keep their legs out of the netting. Yeah. And so, but you had to get them jacked up high enough to get their legs out from under them. And with the mule deer, you'd have to a lot of times like trip them a little bit or pull their legs in with your ankles because you just couldn't get them up high enough especially the bucks or the bigger does yeah yeah dude it was crazy i still can't believe that we got paid to do that i every and, day we would run lines 
And it was and we did that for weeks. We did that like for a month and a half or two months or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's crazy. And I was talking to Steve about that. They don't even hire interns hardly at all anymore. Yeah. Technology just comes so far. They GPS collar everything. You yeah. Know? You don't need the manpower, I suppose. Man, it's like we we hit it. Like I, I, that's probably some of the last opportunities that people did stuff like that. Well, think of how few of people got to Clover Trap anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I had only heard definitely, the technique. Definitely in the last 30 years, I would imagine it's not a very yeah. standard practice. No. No. It was. It, it was unique, and it was cool. And it was real sketch when you got in there with a muley with antlers. Yeah. And, or if you had... I. I'll never forget. And I got that film I sent you where Steve just got his butt whooped and oh, he got his ass upon. by those two. He was getting tossed. I'll post that eventually. <laughs> broke, um, his, broke his glasses. And yeah. he's like, we're going up the hill and he's like punching. I think I was in the back. He's like punching in there. And he's like, gonna get him, Dan. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him, man. I'm ready. And then he gets in there and he's just getting his butt whooped. And finally, he's like, are you guys going to get in here? Like, yeah, he wants us in there. You want us in there? I'm not getting in there. <laughs> that looks like a disaster. Remember oh, the uh, remember the one that we released and it turned around and beat me up? <laughs> I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Uh-uh. Was that a mule deer? No, it was a white-tailed doe. Oh. And we went to release her. You released her like she was going away. I had wrestled her. You were releasing her. Oh, she just turned around and came back. I think we had already collared her like we had got her before. Yeah. She just whipped around and start. She shredded my bibs with her hooves and was beating me up. And I was like, ah, ah like covered my back. back of my head. <laughs> I think I you're, kind like, of remember. you're like, damn. And you like grab her and turn her around. <laughs> I was, my life flashed before my eyes. It was the white tailed doe going to kill me down there in the black. Dude, hills. They, they can do some serious damage. You know, like you talk about watching those animals. There were so many cool things we saw, like doing fawn capture. Yeah. How they would like absolutely pound their fawns to get them away from oh the yearlings you're saying the year yeah 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 so the the last year's fawns yeah and just watching the predator pressure and their behavior in response to that like i remember multiple times like there's a doe she's she's ready like she's by herself getting ready to have her fawns and there'd be like three coyotes just like laying around her just waiting for it yeah like i don't know you'd never expect like you're like yeah they kill them but like she had no chance like there, there, there was no way those fawns are going to survive. Yep. Especially I remember your story when you first finally got your first, you know, mule deer fawns. You found them. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get them. And then both were, of them got killed, right? Yeah, they were eating. Yeah, it was a. They were freshies. Yeah, they were freshies. Yeah. And they got they got eaten. The amount of your like you said predator prey interaction, and and especially when you're out there like looking and you start to understand like the mule deer and how does are acting when they have a fawn. The amount of coyotes you'd see eating a fawn was kind of crazy. Like you, I yeah. probably, I, I mean, you know, you see it all. weekly, you'd see it like once you'd see one with a fawn or something, you know, and you're like, I've never seen this before in my life. But now that I know yeah, what, what are the chances for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now that I know what's where I'm in the area of fawns going to be, you're seeing it. But yeah. That, that's and... where that's dude. The fawn capture was probably where I, I like learned to love deer. Yeah, because we that spent- and then getting to experience some of the elk too. Yeah, you spent 
13, 14 plus hours a day. Yeah. Just looking it. at deer. Like you're, you're literally just hunting. Yeah. And that was sweet. And I was, I'm thinking about now how much better I'd be at it, you know, cause then we didn't yeah. shit about big game hunting. You're just learning. No, just I didn't either. And then like on that, like, especially when we're out in the prairie, like in the badlands style, you know, or in the grasslands, like you walk out there, you're like, where do you even start? Yeah. Like now I would like look at a map on Onyx and be like, bing, 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 bing. And I guarantee you, I'm going to find deer in about every single spot that I would look, you know, just those changes in habitat and those draws and like water access and like all these different things that you think about that. Before I would just like peak a hill and just sit in glass and try to spot one and then kind of go with it. So yeah. what we would do with the fawns is, um, so that, that was a mortality cause mortality study, um, yeah. supposed to be, and we yeah. got there quick. So the idea was we would fly for them. Was it every day that we would fly for those collars or every two? Or uh, well, yeah, so we would they would track them on the ground daily within because I think it was a seven day myopathy. So if if they died within seven days, they would sense you know censor that from the study that it was a capture related injury that could have you know could have caused the mortality. Yeah, because when you and capture everything them, passed, stress stress can happen. Some slight stress, injury, scent, all those yeah. things. You know the concepts of like the the does abandoning them is like it's not a thing. It's just whether or not you had you know don't eat bacon and eggs and then go grab a fawn like that's not good for right. it. You know right. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. So we we tracked them daily for seven days to make sure that they were still alive. And then after that, um, I think it was as much as we could. But granted, we were trying to put out 150 radio collars too, so yeah. it was a grind. Yeah, yeah. And when you're putting them out you're you're literally like you'll see a doe okay at a, let's say you see a doe a canyon over in the black hills mule deer example we'd be in these you know draws it's little mountains i mean and you're watching a doe and a burn and you can tell she's no longer pregnant but she's mature just because you've looked at a lot of deer you'd look at that v right yep. so you'd look at the belly yeah yep. And you would also know if one's about to pop and if one's about to pop because they got that big old tub of a belly, you might mark that spot and be like, I'll come check this in two days and see if she's yeah. all around. Um, but when you saw that doe, you knew like more than likely, because almost every doe has a fawn on the ground at this point in time, because we're right at peak fawning time. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a fawn nearby and generally there's two. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah. Generally I would say. I yeah, a lot of times if you caught one, if you just gritted, you'd find another one. But then, yeah. yeah, so it's like middle of the day, a doe by itself, she's got fawns. Yeah, like that. If by she's up itself. on the middle of the day, yeah. yeah. And so these fawns are just hidden, like they just bed down, and then every I think it was like every four or six hours. What was it? Four? Yeah, every four hours they'd they say are that supposed they to feed them. them. Yep. Which is there's a very few people that we worked with even. That had the patience to sit on sit a deer for four hours, myself included, but like it paid. Mm -hmm. They they would say if you caught a fawn a day, you were you were holding your weight, mm -hmm. right? Because there was guys that like literally never caught a fawn and they were at it for weeks on end. Yep. Yep. It's a Absolutely. grind, man. Like, it and then there's grind. you know, there's other days where you might I mean, there was one day and they caught like six or seven. And you're I like, remember oh, I went like lucky. I when we went to the hills, because I was catching like one a day whitetails. Yep. Cause I'm used to that kind of country and stuff. 
Yeah. But when in the hills, I went like four days without catching one. And I was like, what is going on? And Steve would like get mad at us because he's like, you yeah. guys should be getting them. We, I have, I know you guys can do this. And we're like, frick, man, we've never done this before. Like, we're trying yeah. <laughs> we're doing what we can. But we ended up doing a lot better, basically. Yeah, we, well, and it turned out we were out there maybe just a little bit too early. We kind of figured out. And what we were told to look for was different. See, Steve's work was on whitetails. Yeah. You know, Kevin's work was on whitetails. And they said, solo does, that's all you want to look for. We found them. We were finding them in family group stuff. The does were hanging out with the others and then they would leave. Like, so when you'd see a group of does, we were told, keep going. But they had fawns and they were just, they would leave that. They would hang out and then pop out to their fawns to return. Yeah. yeah, And then return back. Yeah. Just didn't make sense based on what we were being told. So we, I think we were overlooking a lot too initially. Yeah. So if I knew what I do now and even have the equipment I hunt with now, boy. I, we should just go out there and do it for a week sometime. Just do it. You know I mean? Just go do it with Steve one sometime. That'd be really fun, actually. Yeah. Um, and Well, they're still doing out. some work in north of the Black Hills, he said, because of some CWD challenges, I think sure. is what their main interest is. Sure. But. Yeah, that was sweet. And just, just learning how those deer are, like personalities from doe to doe and really mm-hmm. watching them and understanding them was really interesting. And but like going said, out kicking off yearlings hardcore beat oh my god out of their yearlings they would just club them yeah. and like run them down the hill tuck their ears back oh yeah chase them off again and again they did not That's want crazy. them there at all near those fawns. like you see sometimes when food gets tough you know like in the winter time or whatever where they'll they'll get after each other you know they'll jump up and club each other they'll push each other away yeah. you know yeah like you see that some yeah but like this was like the aggression i was just like i was it was really interesting. I, it was <laughs> extreme. And the thing that I loved, you know, is in the grassland specifically, you know, growing up in Iowa and thinking about what it used to look like and like all the prairie chickens and the shark, you know, well, maybe not as much for shark tails in our area, but like you heard a lot of prairie chickens booming mm-hmm. in, in the grasslands when I was out there. Yeah. And just every morning, you just hear that just, you know, you'd hear it way off in the distance in every direction. I'm just like, I think I made me think about like where I live now, like rewind 150 years ago. That's what what it it sounded like. like. That's what it sounded like. It's just crazy. And I bring my students now every year, we've restored uh, the greater prairie chickens back into the state of Iowa in the Grand River grasslands uh, shared between Missouri and Iowa. And uh, we're going in two weeks and we drive, you know, four hours down there, get up at four o'clock in the morning. And I just get my, luck. a lot of these students. Yeah. These students don't have any idea what a freaking prairie chicken is when they come sure. to my program. And then like I do these, you know, teaching about the history of wildlife in Iowa. I get them so jacked up about it. Like to convince some of these kids coming into college now to get up at four o'clock in the morning, drive in the middle of nowhere in the cold to watch a bird walk around it's on hard a- right now. I'm guessing. Yeah. That's crazy. But like, I've consistently, I get kids that are jacked up about it and they love the experience. It's, that's awesome. and it, to me, it's cool to just see them back in Iowa, you know? Yeah, definitely. But that, that was it to me, I think was just like being in those large chunks of grasslands and how they are, you know, with the, with just grazing, how the land hasn't been changed as much. Yeah. And hearing all that wildlife and see it, you know, coming over the hill and flushing birds off of a lack or I remember sitting on a, on a hill in the black Hills and trying to catch fawns and where the burn went through the Jasper fire, 
I was parked in the middle of a sharp tail grouse lack. Like I had grouse dancing around my truck. And it's I remember still wild to me. They're in that Jasper burn. It's it blows my mind that there's not a professor that's like going after. Like I would. Yeah. Be like so this is look at this. Look at this little micro right in the middle. Region. And I guarantee you they're thriving, dude, because the cover. We saw them all the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember radio and Steve, I'm like, I am in the middle of a sharp tail grouse select. And I granted at this point, I hadn't worked on the project in Montana where I, where I where literally saw a lot of yeah. days on in yeah, radio, yeah. but he goes, yep, that's just perks of the job. You know, some of the things you get to do with a degree in fish and wildlife is just oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you get paid to do it. Well, and you, I, I kind of, I took a uh, Less well, I took a full time job is what ended up happening. Yeah, and, and stopped the the seasonal hopping, if you will, because I got married. Yeah, um, and you went on to do some pretty cool stuff uh, yeah. with wolves, which yep. which is pretty that, wild. Yeah, we could talk forever. I mean, those packs. Um, at this point, every pack that I studied has been wiped out because really? of the three strike system. Yeah, yeah. Too many. What is what is the street the three strike system? So in Washington, this is what's crazy, you know, Mister Idaho over here, right? So at the at the federal level, like the Endangered Species Act, as soon as these animals cross over into a new state, they're protected because they've recolonized their historical range. From, you're saying from Idaho? Yeah. So yeah, if you've um, even though we want to kill them all, yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. It's it's. I don't so, want to kill. I don't really understand it all. So I yeah, please. Let's, it was let's so crazy. This. It was so crazy to me. One of my favorite books because this guy was a huge trapper. Um, and it turned out the guy who trapped and radioed the wolves in Washington, uh, Carter Nehemiah is his name, was the was a guy that grew up in Bancroft, Iowa, like 40 minutes from me, and he worked banding ducks and counting ducks at the at the Union Slough National Wildlife Refuge. Oh, really? And he worked for, he knew my grandpa really well. So here I am driving about as far away from Iowa as you can get in the United States. And the guy has a personal connection back to me. And that's what's cool about the wildlife world. Like even when oh, I worked yeah. in Montana, it turned out the guy I was trapping for in Montana on the Beaver Project was dating a girl that was under an advisor, the co-op unit leader at Iowa State, whom I had worked with on river otters. Oh, wow. It's like it's just everywhere you go, like there's, you know, people know each other. Yeah. But yeah. So like when you drive into Washington, which um, from state to state is what's so interesting. Right. So Idaho, it's like kill the snot out of them. Like, I, I mean, Idaho is a pretty, you know, conservative state in, in a lot of the ways that they manage wildlife, um, which I'm not well, saying that's a, in a liberal, a liberal, a liberal take, a conservative take. perspective. Yes. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So I think that's important to kind of. Yeah. To, but anyway. You know, I'm in Pullman, Washington, not too far from the Idaho border. And to think about the research we were doing and then right across the border, it's like an straight up an open season. Like what's a tag, like five bucks or do you get a free one when you buy? Yeah, it's like eight dollars. Yeah. So it's like, you know, kill. You can kill them. And you and can get like come ten in. or something. I don't even know if there's a limit. I think you're going yeah. to trap. You can only trap ten. And then you come into Washington state and they're they're federally endangered. And what's cool is the one pack, this isn't cool, but the one pack I was uh, mainly studying initially in the, you know, up near North Cascade National Park was found because somebody poached them, skinned them, and were shipping them, I believe somewhere in Canada to get them tanned. 
Well, and because really. there was blood coming out of the box, they had reasonable cause to search him. They didn't even know there were wolves in Washington yet. This really? is how they found this is how they found that wolves were in Washington. Wow. Is this first pack. And because where they stocked wolves, they stocked wolves into Yellowstone and then in the panhandle of Idaho. Yeah. Now I don't know where specifically in the panhandle. Sure. All I know Pan, is when I panhandle's panhandle's not very big either. No, it's tiny. Right. But that's some of the steepest country I've ever driven through. <laughs> Drove out to Washington. Like it is. It's something. Yeah. So, but any, and then you get into the wheat fields of Washington. You're like, this looks like Iowa again, except they're growing wheat. This yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not what I expected when I pulled into Washington, but to see across the state, like at a federal level, we've got regulations to protect these animals. And then at a state level, it's like, you know, wipe them out in Idaho, you know, open up hunting seasons and well, protect and them in California. Yeah, and that's the, well, that's the beauty of America, too, though. Yeah. No, no it, it really is. It really is. It is, but it's... Like, so even when we talk about the contrast of South Dakota to Iowa, yeah, that's the beauty of America. It's just because Iowa got settled first. That pretty much is how it ended up, that there's a bunch of ducks in South Dakota now, but not in Iowa. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just kind no, of no, I... Like, Iowa's got... Or the United States is just so many different resources all the way. Yeah. You know, it changes so much. Right. But what's interesting to me is that you have one state that's like, we got to save all the wolves, you know? And then, of course, obviously, the ranching pressure was like, kill them. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. Shoot, shut, definitely. shut up, right? Gonna be, yeah. One of our radioed, uh, one of the radioed females was killed. Um, and anyway. Did that person get trying... caught? Oh, uh, no. It's like, you know, you know who did it. Like, it's like there's like, a it's like on their land. land. Yeah, they're well. No, that's the or on their allotment, I should say. Yeah, they're running all their cattle on public land. This is where I think it's really interesting. It's like I keep kind of getting sidetracked, but just yeah, the sorry. fact that with wolves, there's all these stakeholders, right? There's people who live in Iowa that the only reason they want to go to Yellowstone National Park is to see a wolf in the wild. Like sure. that is absolutely the, the ultimate wilderness experience. And you can see a grizzly bear too. Yeah. Um. And so they like the idea of them being out there. And then you've got you know guys like you and me similar and we got a little bit of an ecological perspective like you know what leopold writes about in the green fire and the importance of like wolves in the landscape but But when there's wolves yeah you have to if you share the wolves you know you share the 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 elk and you share the deer like they have a you know for people to say well they don't have that much of an impact on deer like that's crazy these things are killing machines man there's no doubt they affect the behavior they affect the distribution, how people hunted elk pre and post. I've, I'm, I'm from Iowa, but I've read a lot about it. I find it really interesting. Yeah. Like the bulls aren't going to, it doesn't seem like there's many because they're not going to be out bugling in the middle of an open because it's just, it's like, right. It's like pressured turkeys. So it's like yep. they're not gobbling right in the middle of the open. And, yep. you know, yeah. so anyway, so their yeah. behavior changes. It's and, not, it's, it's more of a perspective thing. Yes. There, there probably are less elk in the densely wolf populated areas but it's not to the point of they're extirpated mm. like i've been back in the frank like the furthest i've been into the frank was like 14 miles and there's wolf sign everywhere in hardly tons of deer sign yeah. and when you see a deer it's for like a fleeting moment there's moose sign there's elk sign all that stuff's back there but it doesn't want to be out in the open just grazing along doing whatever it wants yeah you go a hundred years you know they were extirpated from the majority of the lower 48 and these animals have gotten away with so much without an apex predator 
Right. They get lazy in a way. Yeah. Well, their behavior, they don't, they don't need to, if they need to get to their food, their resources, whatever they want to do, they don't even have to think about that. And that's the thing that you talk about with studying the deer that I like was crazy to me is like trying to, when you watch them for hours on end, like they are always on edge, dude. Think of like constantly you're like, what's going to eat me from this direction? What's going to eat me from the, is anything eating my baby? You know, like, okay, now let's look at it. And they're just constantly like, you have to constantly be worried about dying, right? Couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine. It's like just sleeping like with one eye open at all times, you know? It's like sleeping in grizzly country. Those that are from the mid, like myself being from the Midwest, like that yeah. freaks me out. And I know like you'd get used to it if you lived out there or whatever. But like, that's like all the time. Like you're <laughs> just constantly concerned about getting eaten. Yeah. And then so I think a lot of it is in, in that could throw off like uh in my i mean that would throw off wildlife models on like what the elk population is because they do helicopter counts if those deer or those elk are in yeah. the trees more they're not and then their behavior is totally different people are like well i haven't been hearing any bugling yep. oh crap because there's a wolf over the next hill that's been chasing them every time they do listen that. and for them to bugle yeah but that makes your hunting experience not as fun, especially for those that have probably lived there the last you know 30 years and they've been shooting these bugling you know this just awesome experience and now but i like to think of it you know if i ever come out and elk hunt which i hope i do um i would think i would enjoy killing the animal in its in a sense when it's living out there among those predators and that i had to overcome those challenges too but i love those turkey hunts where they just come you know running right in like idiots that's that's a lot of fun you know it's got two beards and these huge hooks on it that was awesome right yeah Yeah. but yeah you know how that can happen just from a day-to-day how those things oh yeah i think elk are the same way based on what we've seen too and a wolf can move in and move out i mean a wolf isn't going to hang out in the same drainage forever yeah, those they're the seasonality and change, and they set up rendezvous sites. I mean, they get up to a couple hundred square mile home ranges once it gets past the fall, and the pups are on the move. Um, but that was that was really interesting. And so, actually, the study I worked on, the findings they had, the guy who was leading that study out of Pullman was forced to resign because of the findings. If you look because, at how because I'm guessing the findings were they didn't kill many cattle. Bingo. Yeah. You can't say that around here. <laughs> it's it's a whole deal, man. And, you know, they told me, is like, I don't even like tell the, you know, I'd run into mule deer hunters. Like, don't tell them what you're doing out here. Yeah. I'd always say it. Oh, I'm tracking wolves. What? There's wolves around here? I would shoot that thing. We haven't seen a mule deer. We've been up in the country for you. Yeah, then they start hey. blaming them not killing something on the wolves being there. Dude, it's totally, it's a, it's a scapegoat yeah no it's well i'm trying to think how to say it. like, it's like how, how do you say it? it's yeah it's it's just like it's what they were born into it's just an anti-wolf perspective like yeah and then as soon as wolves come on the landscape every time a calf falls over dead wolves did it every time you know the deer hunting isn't very good well the wolves did it like you just blame the wolves for everything and you gotta it's have like, something to blame i've never yeah. understood that about like human tendencies you know like why, why don't you just say well we did made stupid decisions or we didn't go yeah. we should have or you didn't get to that calf it, you didn't get to that calf it was too cold man like that happens but just because a wolf fed on it after it died doesn't mean that you got to kill all the wolves in the area yeah and these things lived in this landscape for thousands of years before 
you know, before you graze your cattle out here, I think they have a right to like at least be here in, in minimal numbers. Yeah, and then you get into all the pack dynamics say. and killing wolves. You know, I always say if you were wolf hunting and you see a big pack come running out into a valley below you, like you're shooting the big, bad, black, like the breeder. Which wild. would screw up the pack the most. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the findings and concerns with that, I mean, then, you know, ranchers out just shooting wolves left and right. It's like you're creating your own problem. And you know? becoming these other packs that are growing outside of it or what? Yeah. Like no, it, it creates more packs when you kill alphas or, oh no, oh. creates, creates that depredation issue because they don't yes. have the lead. So, you know, like all of those individuals are important for their ability to, to like they go on multiple chases without kills. And when they kill something, um, you know, it's the breeder male, uh, probably the breeder female, and there's typically a few sub adults. And then you have that year's pups. And it takes all of those individuals, you know, they're doing the long run stamina, you know, waiting for that mess up and they work together. It's crazy. Some of these dogs like in Africa and crap, how they like, they'll literally like break out. It's like we watch it on planet earth. It's just oh, yeah. mind how when you shot. watch them like from a drone, all yeah. the drone footage they have when they start getting in. Yeah, they completely formation. surround them and then this they send crazy. one in to chase them out and they have like layers of animals. Or It's just it's just absolutely crazy. But it if is. you start removing those, you know, key individuals on a successful hunt, they don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, they don't have a so choice. It creates the problem. Yeah. It creates the problem. But there's still a lot of, you know. And it makes sense. It makes really good sense to me. I, I honestly believe predators are opportunistic 100%. It's not like oh, they definitely. kill the sick. They don't kill the sick and the lame. They don't kill just this and that. They kill whatever they can get. Whatever out. they can kill. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they're going to just chase whatever they can kill. And if you, um, if you affect their ability to catch and kill wild animals, well, then they only have one choice. They got to eat, you yeah. know? So, Absolutely. So it makes sense to me, but there's still a lot of arguments on some of the data behind that. And Yellowstone is some of the most extensive research, but granted, there's not, you know, grazing, uh, cattle grazing. And there's stuff. that that is a tough thing to um, use as a data set to me. Yeah, yeah, it's very to, different to apply to Eastern Washington. Yes, you know yeah. what I mean. That's like a like okay, well, these things aren't messed with at all. Have an abundance of food are essentially babied and habituated like yep that, they might as well be in a zoo a giant zoo is what they're in basically yep and then but some of the papers have come out about the relationship between those and the mountain lions and like their shared ranges and how they're hunting and how they're uh especially with lions like sharing uh uh, male lions sharing a kill with females for opportunities to potentially breed like no oh, sure Lion would ever share a carcass. No, but they were especially as, as they're just solitudinal. Like I wouldn't think that at all. Yeah, but they they found some of this, and I'm like, that is freaking cool, man. Um, but but they they yeah they're they're studying these things in a place where you know historically their ranges would have overlapped a lot. Granted, yeah, it's a zoo. It's a big freaking zoo. Right. Um, and they're able to see some cool stuff. But no, I totally agree that you can't really apply that. Um, but that's probably the where the some of the most consistent best information is coming out of you know graduates as far as pack yeah. dynamics and everything else 
Yeah, pack dynamics. You know, the fact they had that one wolf that died, it was like the the breeder male of like multiple packs. It's like the only one that's ever been found that way. Oh, it, uh, it ran around a different packs. It got chased out of one pack and it went and took dominant in another pack and then it went and took dominance in another pack. Like this guy was sweet. Um dude, those things are so cool. Wolves are they're, just... they're they're wicked cool. Like and you know, the only wolf I've actually seen, the experience I had was like freaking joke at Yellowstone. We spotted this wolf and it was that guy. It was him. He was by himself. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. So this is when I was out. Um, after my job in Western Montana, working on beavers, um, my brothers flew out to Bozeman and we kind of fly fished and hung out on our way back and, uh, hit the bighorns. Of course that place rules. Yeah. Um, but, uh, as we were out there, um, we saw this wolf and it's like the instant we saw it before you knew it, I'm not kidding you 50 vehicles parked on the side of the road, people sure. running to the river, trying to this, then they got the wardens are in there trying to, and I'm like, what a wolf experience, you know, here yeah. we are, there's this radioed wolf and it's sitting, it tried swimming across the river. It went over and like sat on the bank. Like these people are just like, you know, there's cameras going off and this, and that I'm like, that sucks. What a, what a bastardization of, <laughs> yeah. of a creature that is just so amazing. I know. I know. And so that was, I'm like, wow, you know, in my job, if I saw a wolf, I wasn't doing my job. Right. So I never got to see them. I just got to like study what they did and where they were. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah but you, would, you would move in on their kills mostly right and yep so we had gps collars on them and we would go in um uh and search clusters so every cluster that was formed we'd go in and look for something dead and uh try to figure out what they're killing um and what was, were they killing mostly in our spot mule deer Mule Granted, deer. where I was living was some of the best mule deer country in the whole state is what I come to find after moving out of there. Which is what area? Uh, up near the, it's in the Medhow. Yeah, near the Medhow. Yep, yep, yep. That's what so, I would say. Um, Lake, what is it? Lake Chelan, I think, is right there. Um, but it's like right before you pass up over into North Cascade National Park. So and, did, they kill, did they kill elk too? There's elk up there, right? Uh, yeah, but not a ton. Um, and then down in like central Washington, another pack we studied, they killed more elk. And then the ones in the, the Republic or Northeastern part of the state, those were the ones that like, they targeted moose and this was oh, like a, killers. yep. And that doesn't sit well with no stakeholders, right? And this, that, is, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of those. Well, after they've chased me off the fly stream, no, yeah. um, I've had some pretty interesting encounters of moose as you were know. you there with when that that one was clicking its teeth at us yeah it was like it's like a freaking horse we're like dude well, we didn't we didn't know we like came around the corner and it was right there did you remember that one that was nuts yeah well it makes sense to me that they're hanging out there because there's the like willows. not as predator pressure you know yeah. yeah and the willows right off the road yeah. and i remember yeah it was you and me because you go well how fast do you think she'll get across the creek i said well hell of a lot faster than we can get up and out of here i can guarantee you that we need to back off so. that is kind of crazy because you get into this is on the tongue right the tongue river the north tongue dude that place that is place sick. was sick awesome yeah um the first time we went there we just pounded fish too uh, you went there with like a guide initially you and your grandpa or something no and, we went to cody with a guide and then basin and i hit that on the way back that's how we found the tongue even though we probably should have found it with research before then but we were just dumb yeah. like college kids mm -hmm. but yeah we're down in these willows like willows like what you'd envision in alaska is what like that plane is like 
Yeah. And so then you bust out and you're in the river. It's like you got to fight through the willows, but there's little trails from other fishermen and stuff. Yeah. And we come around this one bend in the river. And like there's a moose, like, I mean, the river's only 30 feet across. Mm-hmm. And it's like right there. Right across the, the creek. Yeah. And it was and it's got a calf. With it. It's got a calf and it's clicking its teeth at us and all kinds of stuff. And of course, I'm just dumb. I'm like, you think uh probably okay right <laughs> no yeah that's what you said to me you're like how fast do you think she'd get across the creek and i'm like way faster than we can get up out of the creek i can guarantee you that yeah. like trying to fish the run that's like right i've run there. the last time i fished out there i ran in i i was just kind of busting through the willows coming out of there and i ran into a beaver complex it was a disaster um, oh yeah you I, can get stuck in there for sure yeah but i i kicked up a bu- i kicked up like a, a little bowl and a couple uh you know, I think it was a cow and a calf or something out of there when I was walking through there and yeah. they jumped up like 10 feet from it. it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. But well, yeah, kinda, you just can't see. That's kind of interesting how like, it's just with your wolves, you were saying like they killed deer in that area. I have heard they really specialize. Oh yeah. So like, like the ones up in like, you know, the different sheep up, up North, They'll just like target and kill that specific, you know, whether it's a doll like sheep. Like a doll sheep or a stone sheep yeah. or something. Yeah. Really? And then and then like it's it's all about opportunity, like opportunistically what's available. This part of Washington is once it's one of those once in a lifetime draws, but yeah. the success rate is like 80, 90%. Like you will shoot a bull if you draw a tag. Right, right. And then all of a sudden you got um, you know, wolves that are killing those things and uh that really not only for the state agency but for the people involved in hunting there and i mean it just it gets to be a mess because as a wildlife advocate like you you know especially like a state like idaho states like montana the amount of income and revenue especially when you got you know what over 60 percent public land i think in the state of idaho is that what it is seven it's over 70 over 70 percent right so it's a beautiful thing yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, Iowa is uh like 2.8%, right? <laughs> so we're like ranked Start contrast. Yeah, very different. Um but you have the resources to sell over the counter tags for people to come tromp around and take their chance at trying to shoot a Rocky Mountain elk. Um that's a huge amount of income to those states. Oh yeah, definitely. So then all of a sudden if you have to start limiting that more that's that I mean that's what pays your bills. Like you got to yep. like consider that. Yep. So it's it's a really dynamic. I Idaho is like okay, yeah, they can chopper gun stuff. Sure. But Idaho is like so wild and rugged. Yeah. That you can have an open season like they do all year round. And you're not there's always nooks and crannies where there will be wolves. Don't worry. You know what I mean? Kind of a thing. And that's like the beauty of it to me. I want them here. I also love the idea of the opportunity to harvest one i mean it sounds weird but i think and i don't know how i'd react if i did but i just like the thought that i could yeah well that's a but the people that are non-consumptive they just want the thought that they could run into one that they could see one and that's it's the same thing it's like having that you know, and granted, you haven't lived in Idaho, you know, or grown up out there. So I'm sure some of the guys maybe you run into that lived out their whole life and probably don't feel the same. <laughs> no, they want to kill everyone or they want them all gone. You know, I've I, seen, they've so seen there's a romance to it for me. Like, yeah. I'm happy they're there. Um, do I want a lot of them? No, because of the adverse effects on game species. 
Yeah. And but like I said, I don't think you'll ever get like you're not gonna. I mean, they were extirpated at one point, so it's kind of hard to say you couldn't extirpate them. Yeah, well, they were gone after pretty heavily. And, I mean, yeah. lions were whacked way back. And grizzly bears, you know, look at their situation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, like, Which we could be hunting grizzly soon. Hey. And that's that? what I'm saying. It's not, yeah, it's not just about wolves. It's, and, yeah, so when you look at, like, the, the federal regulations surrounding the grizzly bear work that was done in western Montana, like, they've hit the threshold. The yeah. season should be open. Yep. Here we have the same thing. You got all these stakeholders involved in that population, especially right in that area. And it's like, open the season. We need to start harvesting some grizzly Because birds. they're eating people <laughs> and we can hunt them now. And yeah. uh, maybe when they're scared of people a little bit, it'll help a little. <laughs> when I lived in, in West Yellowstone, while I was there, there was like, I know two. One was right outside of Ennis where I was fly fishing in the Ruby River. I went in, I was sitting at the bar that night at the hotel and a guy got mauled by a grizzly bear. It was two elk hunters from Washington like that morning. Jeez. And then he got the Todd Orr guy that was just like shredded that yeah. same year, I think. And it's like, yeah, dude, like. Let's put some human pressure on them so when they smell you, they don't come to you. They, well, and the thing is, is the law is written, the law is written to get them back to their sustainable, you know, reproduction. Like we have enough sows that are producing cubs it's like anything else. We have the data to drive a season and make it sustainable and it's good. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's like, but people, the emotions get caught up in it, man. And this, that's the thing with wolves too, is like, you know, if you don't have a background and understanding a little bit of like ecology and wildlife biology and like hunting regulations and why they're put in place, yep. you just get really like, well, why do you have to kill them? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, also, I think it's very interesting, like with Colorado, that was a ballot initiative. It like a Denver thing. You know what I mean? Like that's what it ends up being. And it's like, the hell do they know about what's gonna happen whenever you ever, they introduce wolves? Have you ever you read know? the beast in the, the beast in the garden about the guy that got whacked by a lion in Boulder, Colorado? No. Yeah, so there's this journalist that wrote about it, and it's the same thing. Colorado Game and Fish are like, you guys need to start managing your lions because the deer are wandering into town, middle of the day, yep. you know. And then it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen? Predators are going to start wandering into town, middle of the day. And they're like, you know, we learned, like, lions love to eat cats. Oh, yeah, lions walk. love to be in porches and eating cats and all that because that's funny, that old story of Steve oh, shooting Steve, that one yeah. chasing the cat in the yard. <laughs> I think I remember him saying like it literally killed the house cat and then like was living in the garage with yeah. like nuts and bolts and stuff. No, ba basketballs and stuff were like hiding it. And then he ended That's... up shooting, he ended up shooting the mountain lion while he was talking to the house owner on the as run. it on the run as it was chasing a house cat through its yard. <laughs> yeah, he's a hunter. I think there's some story on top of that, but yeah, I'll take his word for it. He's a pretty honest guy. Yeah. Yeah, it was no, some, yeah, it went some. I'm sure the lion died, but it's the same thing. And you know, you could get into all the politics surrounding game management in these areas where you know you have these metropolitan locations where people can't even name the tree in the county park or the, the city park that are having a huge impact on how things are being run outside the city, you know, the, the boundaries of those areas. Yeah. They have no. No idea. Dude, I, I I see this now in, you know, I, I do all forms of media now on YouTube and stuff. 
And like uninformed people, when they just comment about hunting, you're just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like you don't understand like the bears get everyone, you know, it's a predator. It's hilarious that predators are the thing that people associate with. It just blows my mind to me. Mm -hmm. Like shooting a black bear. I mean, there's like literally so many of them here. It's insane in the Mm -hmm. mountains and just people just are so uninformed commenting like yeah they just they They, what they see is what they say is the cute bear that you know wandered in and tipped over the trash and oh look at that you know and then like you see a completely different animal well i i now just see meat honestly at this point yeah they're good they're so good that's like my favorite meat by far i've always you know i don't have experience hunting black bears but my encounters with them in washington is like they're like an oversized raccoon dude oh yeah that's what it looks like like they're they're getting into the trash i'll never forget when i lived in washington and they had the dumpster and they had it chained shut and i used to always go over there and i'm like gosh i can't get it open and all i had to do was just you know it was it was bear proof but it wasn't human proof right i didn't even think about i threw my trash in the other dumpster next day i'm driving out there's trash all over i'm like gosh your trash it's my stuff, dude. You're like, they got- pluck, there's a plucked duck. Oh, there's another yeah. plucked duck. Oh, and then they, and then they like, they're like, uh, finally a guy caught me. He's like, that's you putting the trash in there. This, you know, it's like a forest service bunkhouse, like a bunch of firefighters and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. Like what? And they're like, why don't you put it in the one with the chain? I was like, cause it's chained. Like I can't get it open. And it's like, yeah, dude, all you gotta do is undo this. I'm like, well, I'm from Iowa, man. I don't know. We had a black bear wander into Iowa like a couple years ago, and it like made the news across the state. It's a big deal, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you should come do that sometime. You'd like that. Do that summer bear hunting that you guys are doing. Well, spring we start in spring summer a week and a half. Yeah, it goes through June. Yeah, but you really the back half of June. I think I'll be baiting, but um, that that mountain stuff, like the steep canyon stuff, is so cool. Just seeing yeah. them out there. And it's good, huh? It's the meat's real good. Oh, it's amazing. The fat, it's like eating pork. Like really? I did I've done pulled pork with it, like on the smoker. And it's just like it. Like you break the fat into the meat and you pull it all in there. And it's like it's just like pork fat. Dang, man. But it's like a little darker than pork. Yeah. But dude, it's so good. Tender, fatty, fat's nuts. Yeah, well, maybe I should try eating a fat raccoon. Dude, so good. Like, <laughs> I, I I can't even describe how good. I, if like, compared to a deer, like, it just blows yeah, my like mind. I, blows I my mind that people, it's, it's legal to leave the meat. Yeah, you just take the hide in the skull. You have to take the hide in the skull. And it just makes me want to throw up thinking that, that that's, like, I, it sounds so cliche. But, like, just because I know how good it is. Yeah. Like, it sounds really weird, but I would rather you say I don't have to take deer meat than bear meat because it's that freaking good. Not yeah. that I, not that I'm advocating anyone never take deer meat because that shit's good, too. Yeah. Well, it's very but good. it's just very odd. I get it because of the trick or whatever, but just cook it long enough. I don't know. Yeah. That bugs me. Yeah, no, that's it. Well, I mean, if you cook, a, if you slow cook and pull it, you're totally fine, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. That thing was at 210 degrees when I pulled it off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. been, those are cool, man. Like all, but yeah, it comes back down to it. Just 
that research we did really opened my eyes to big game because we got to work with everything. Yeah. I mean, we had counters with lions. Lions. Even after I left, I went back and did some lion work just to get some more experience with that. And, you know, the elk, coyotes. Lions, a lot of elk work, coyotes, uh, pronghorn. Yeah, we did pronghorn catching kids. I showed my students that turkey video where that hen just, like, blew me out of the trailer. Oh, yeah. I need to – do you have that too? I got all – dude, I have – You got to send me more stuff tomorrow. I kept – I kept absolutely – I have – Every picture. I I didn't. I didn't. I was just lazy about it where I didn't keep it on a hard drive or anything. Yep. I bought an external hard drive and it was really when I lived in uh, Montana. The guy's like the one guy I worked for. He's like everything like in my life that matters is on that hard drive right there. He's like, you need to back these because I was showing him some of my stuff. He's like, you need to back all this stuff up. So now I have it like on a drive, Google Drive, OneDrive, hard drive. I've got it on my drive at work. (laughs) Like, Nice. I won't lose it, you know. Nice. Yeah, send me some of that turkey stuff. That was really fun doing those captures and and stuff. Yeah. It was neat. Yeah. We only got to do it, but it was. It was cool. It was. And it was really funny when we did it with like Cudmore and them, and they just hated do it, hated turkeys. And we were just like kids. Like like kids there, like all excited. Shaking. I've told that story so many times when those turkeys they with Cudmore that morning, and we're like just waiting for the turkeys to come. And all of a sudden we see them come running around the corner. And the lady that remember the the rancher's wife was corralling the like two toms started to run off to the left. Probably one of the she ones pushed them into the trap. She pushed them back, like corralled them with her blue Chevy pickup. Yeah. And I go, what? That is so fake. And I remember, you know, they wanted to get rid of him. And is like, well, what's this guy's number? Danny goes out there. It's like whacked, like what, like four of them or something. <laughs> I think I shot seven turkeys off that place. Oh, and some of those things had like freaking 10 inch beard on a Miriam's turkey. You're like, Holy that son. was because the, they were so old, like isolated and old. Yeah. And just overblown population. Like, stupid mm. amount of turkeys like unnatural amount of turkeys yeah even after they shot a bunch in the winter we relocated a ton of them there were still just a stupid amount of turkeys that's mm-hmm. crazy. crazy yeah prairie western south dakota prairie turkey hunting on those ranches is like even like eastern montana when i lived there it's just yeah. like the tactics are so di- like it's like here's a draw of trees if there's turkeys there just get in front of them and you're going to kill one <laughs> it is the i would say it's the easiest turkey hunting i know of personally yeah. just cuz no, just cuz of lack of habitat the la- the habitat is a ripi- riparian zone and it's one riparian zone yeah and you're you like, like well they could go on the other side of the creek and then well, they get in the creek them. Yeah. yeah, and then you have the creek to stock them. Like, you can jump yeah, in the creek bottom and the get creek, right up on them. Walk up and shoot one, yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's fun, though. Like, yeah. No, it's, it's different. I would still get in front of them, like, pop a decoy up just to see them all come in. Because they're, like, never seen a decoy in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, I don't I don't even hunt. I haven't hunted turkey decoys. Like, I, I just don't do it anymore. And, yeah. I mean, I have. I Last year, I fanned one. That's the only one I shot last year. I've been bear hunting so much. And I went with Luke and the Colorado one was tough. Yeah. Very tough. That's a high elevation to shoot turkeys as far as I know. I don't know of a higher one. That's why I named it 9,000 feet. (laughs) 
he shot it at like 9,200 feet. That's cool. Then that's in the next episode, uh, coming out next week. But yeah, that was cool. There was a lot of pressure. If we would have went there earlier and hunted lower, we would have shot them real easy, I think. Yeah. But, but it just had been pretty pressured and they're kind of spread out by then too, because they could go anywhere at that point. Well, I watched some of the films that the hunting public guys had up from last spring and they went to Colorado and it was the same thing. It's like, did they have a tough time? I, ne- I never saw. Yeah. They're just so picked through. Like they were just traveling. They get into a new spot. They were clear. They end up, you know, Ted ends up shooting his bird, but they're like clear back in the middle of nowhere. They found yeah. a ton and he was pretty susceptible to being killed, you know, is later in the season or whatever. But, um, but everywhere else they went, there was like some, they called in a bunch of Jake's in one spot. Otherwise they just hardly saw any male birds and there, there's a lot of hunting pressure. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was pretty bizarre. Like I was not expecting that. See, where I go in Northeast Iowa, it's unbelievable. The number of turkeys and the lack of turkey hunters. I can't, I, like I brought my yeah, next year, next year I need to just go. I, this yeah. year, this year I had some things come up and I couldn't really <clears throat> travel, travel much. I got one, I'm only doing like one trip and it's to South Dakota. So are you uh, going up to the Coteau or where are you? uh secret locations secret top secret <laughs> uh we'll be we'll be on the western half of south dakota nice oh i have an idea then <laughs> i'll be um, <clears throat> but next year is, is your brother's going again your brother's going again no i wish yeah I wish. they kind of get out on well they, they never got really got into it if you will you just- I need to get them. I need to like say, Hey, sometime out here. I'm trying to think of what I would take them to do out here. Bear hunt, come bear hunt with me, you know, just to get them out. I need to do that. Cause they had a lot of fun on the Turkey trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I need to go to, I really want to go to. to Driftless is sweet dude. And the fly fishing is just, and then well, I try to be cool. It, it'd be cool if we did it. Cause we could do a week and hunt like Minnesota or Wisconsin too. Yeah. Minnesota. You can buy just over the counter in that unit, just North of us. And there's lots of public land. And I went and fly fished a stream in Southern Minnesota and uh, it's supposedly got some stud Browns in it. And I caught a lot of Brown really? trout, but I didn't catch any real big ones. Yeah. It's that, the, the, the root river. Yeah. Let's put that on the books for, for next spring. Make yeah, sure it happens. See, you know, I got the two kiddos and I just have a hard time getting away to, to come yeah. all the way out there. And I think, I think if you came here and hunted there with me, you'd be like, I get it. Like <laughs> there, there's really no need. I understand the experience of new locations and I've killed them off different farms over there. It is so freaking cool over there. It's like it's having like a little, Eastern, it's just beautiful Eastern country. I'm guessing. Yeah. It's like, it, it looks I mean, they're like almost, you get over by the the Mississippi River, it's almost like they're like little mountains. And there's big limestone bluffs and spring-fed creeks and trout and turkeys like you wouldn't freaking believe. And it's just awesome. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And I just camp right on the trout stream. And I could walk up. I got a picture right up there. I'm going to try to replicate it. My grandpa shot his first turkey in the 80s there. And uh, you can walk up from camp and you could hunt all day long on public land just like keep the moving farms. keep hiking yeah it's not it's not idaho it's not idaho right but you've got multiple tracks of land that are eight 
1200 acres nice. you know they're big yeah. good turkey and there's track. a lot of topography a lot of topography and a lot of freaking turkeys yeah you you never run out of turkeys you can just cruise and there's enough land that you can always find another bird another bird to get on yeah it's fun well definitely i want to put that on the books and you got to get out to idaho i do need to get out to idaho like I said, I was going to talk to Serena about trying to. I think when I come, it's going to be the first week of January. Okay, like yeah, that. you got my off. schedule. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that yeah. fits my schedule. It's after Christmas, after New Year's. Generally good for ducks and chuckers around that time. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could get some snow maybe up in some of those areas that definitely. Make it challenging. But yeah, that's that the, just concentrates the chuckers more. And the fly fishing is probably like just crap. Nope. Is there a chance? No. Oh, 100% a chance. Uh, definitely. You get like some weird hatches and stuff? Is it warm uh, We get a lot of like afternoon, evening, midge, blue-winged olive hatches. Mm. So, yeah. No, there's a... Uh... Watching you miss all those trout on when you... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the dry okay, flies are tough, dude. Yeah, it takes a lot. You, you know me. I've become almost strictly a dry fly guy. Yeah. And it takes a lot to get that hook set right. I know. It's tough. And then some days you just nail them. And then the next day is, and you'd literally have nailed them the day before, and the next day is just crap. You'll miss like you'll you'll have, and it'll be like a rise fest. Like you'll literally miss like twenty fish and like land two, and you're like, "What the heck?" What what it what it normally comes down to me is just slowing down. Yep. Instead like of ripping, it. instead of ripping, it's just kind of lifting the you lift know it. line and just lift. It's in their mouth. You just gotta keep it in their mouth. You know? Yeah, like, and instead of whoop, popping it out so quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. No, no, I agree. So, well, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been almost two hours. So, yeah, my wife's probably like, "What the heck's going on?" <laughs> we covered a lot of topics. I did, and we we'll do more. I mean, we'll have you. We got to do another one. So, yeah, that sounds good.